Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And this is going to be, I think this is going to be the last uh, new episode of Weird House Cinema for the year uh, before we return in the new year. And it's pretty exciting because we essentially have one last holiday selection here. Uh, it's one that uh, is 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 near and dear to my heart. I can safely say at this point, it's it's uh, my esteem for this film has built up over the the years, over the decades, and uh, I I feel like I'm I'm at a level of just maximum appreciation for it now. Christmas with the cranks? <laughs> no, 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 uh, no. We're going to be talking about uh, the 1960s Russian fairy tale spectacular. Morosko, better known to many fans in the West as Jack Frost. I think it's sometimes called Frosty or Father Frost. Uh, you might recall our mention of this film in, the, in past episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind that touch on things like mushroom culture and Russian folklore. Now, I did not know that it was called Frosty, but that would make sense because uh, immediately I think of how some people, I don't do this, by the way, but some people who get the Frosties at Wendy's dip the French fries in them. And this movie is very much like that. It is a is like a salty fried potato product dipped into something sweet and cold on the tongue. Uh, <laughs> it, it, is, it is a mashup of different kinds of fairy tale flavors and, and genres. It is a scattergun blast of, of weird magical elements of folklore. Now, of course, if you grew up in the United States, particularly during the, the 1990s, then your introduction to this film, I think, was likely through Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, episode 813, which aired in 1997. Uh, this was a, a riff of this film. Uh, but if you grew up in Russia or in uh, parts of Eastern Europe, then this movie was likely far more than a weird oddity for your amusement. Uh, this may have been your holiday viewing tradition, either around Christmas or New Year's. In fact, in the late 90s, I remember, th so this would have been not too long after it actually, the MST episode actually aired, I, uh, I, was, I, I instantly loved it. Um, I couldn't necessarily, you know, explain why I loved it. Uh, and that's one of, I think, the beauties about Mystery Science Theater 3000 is, like I've said before, I feel like it kind of showed many of us that these sorts of films existed and taught us at least some ways of appreciating them. Um, but, but anyway, I really liked the episode. And I was hanging out with um, a friend from high school and a foreign exchange student from uh, the Czech Republic. Uh, who was staying with that friend at the time. And for some reason, I either described this episode to them or perhaps I actually showed them part of the episode, like I put it on a VHS tape or something. And uh, Marquetta, the student, told me, instantly recognized it and said, oh, this, this is the film we watch every year. This is our Christmas tradition. Um, they, they, they show it on TV every Christmas, and it's just an essential part of the holiday, you know, as, um, as Christmassy as the baby Jesus lowering gifts from heaven on a golden string. <laughs> Now, on one hand, that is very strange to me because I, like you, first encountered this on Mystery Science Theater where I, you know, the, the mindset I was in when I first saw it was what a, you know, strange mushroom to find in the forest. Like it was just the, mm -hmm. this bizarre oddity from, from out of the, the 19th dimension. But now seeing it again, especially without the Mystery Science Theater, just watching the movie on its own. It has the same kind of weird texture as uh, as a lot of Christmas classics that that we did grow up with, like um, uh, I don't know, like the stop motion Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and things like that. Except 
uh, more earthy. I mean, th- this feels more rooted in in actual in in real folklore and and uh, archetypes and imagery that goes way back. Yeah, this. The, the, this film is, is this not one of those films where you're like, okay, I guess I need to research my Russian history or my Russian folklore before I watch this so I'll know what's going on. No, no, you, all that is great and, and helps you appreciate it more. But, uh, but all of this like, speaks on, on a level that I feel like, like most uh, viewers, especially the, the sort of intended viewer, the, the child, either the actual child or the child at heart. Uh, will instantly get what's going on throughout most of this film. And in case in point, um, th- this film has been a, a viewing, uh, the, the MST version of this has been a, uh, a ritual of, of, of my wife and I's for many years now. We watch it every Thanksgiving. Uh, last Thanksgiving, we, I believe we introduced my son to it, and he, he was like, okay, this is interesting. And this year he said, uh, I said, hey, do you guys want to watch Jack Frost? And he said, yeah, but I think we should watch it, quote, without all the jokes. So he wanted it unriffed. And uh-huh. so uh, I was delighted to try, because I'd been wanting to try that out as well, because I knew at this point that that you know the grubby visual um, film grade that we have in the MST episodes is not a proper reflection of, of the film. Uh, so I really wanted to watch a high-definition version of it anyway. And so we, we watched it, and it was an absolute delight. Everybody enjoyed it. Uh, he loved it. Um, so, uh, you know, n- nothing against the MST version. I think it's a lot of fun. But if that is the only version of Morosco you've watched, then you're missing out on just so many extra-dimensional colors. I think you're entirely correct. I don't remember when we had this conversation, but you were telling me this uh, uh, sometime a ways back. And uh, so I, I finally watched it uh, in, in a higher definition transfer. And it, th- this movie is beautiful. Uh, it, it is truly it, it's it's colorful. Uh, a lot of the locations are gorgeous. They, I mean, they picked really wonderful wilderness settings, especially in the first half of the movie that takes place in the in the spring or summer, I guess. And uh, so there are these hills and forests and caves and meadows and uh, and, and the colors of the costumes just pop. Uh, it, it's really wonderful. Yeah, it's um, like it just transforms the film in so many ways to watch it in this this full, colorful version. Uh, you know, for, for starters, like if you have, especially to Western viewers, you have these scenes of, uh, you know, people in babushkas, uh, you know, wandering about in the woods. Uh, it, if you have drab colors, that takes on a drab quality. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it is so bright and so beautiful and the babushkas are so, you know, v- vibrantly uh, uh, decorated, um, you know, it paints an entirely different picture of of like rural living it 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 actually allows you to to taste the uh the the uh, the folkloric ideal uh that's clearly this film is celebrating you know it's funny i mentioned the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer thing i just looked it up uh and it came out apparently the same year as as oh, yeah. Moscow, both 1964 films Okay, yeah, and, and it is weird with uh, with Morosco. I've I've seen different dates for it. Like sometimes I see 1964, sometimes I see 65. Um, but at, at any rate, that is the time period mid mid 1960s uh, that it uh, emerges. So yeah, this is essentially uh, a big budget folklore spectacular uh, for children for the whole family, and it has everything. It has the personification of winter. It has the the evil witch Baba Yaga and her chicken footed house. You have these troll-like bandits uh, milling about. You have magical animals. You have mushroom spirits, arranged marriages, folkloric uh, logic, and just much, much more. Mm-hmm. 
So in terms of an elevator pitch for this movie, I, uh, the, only, the best thing I could come up with is uh, looking for a change in life, consider wandering into the Russian folkloric wilderness and see what happens. Uh, the other way I'd frame it is always be polite to magical old people you meet in the woods. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's just universal. All right, maybe we need to hit some trailer audio. All right, who's playing hide-and-seek with me now? You? Yes. Are you a sorcerer, Granddaddy? I dabble in sorcery a little, but the truth is that I get bored. You get bored? I get bored. Come on, play with me. Let's play hide-and-seek together. (laughs) With you? Play hide-and-seek? Yes. You're joking. I catch you in no time. Think so? Yes, I think so. If you catch me, I'll give you a well-bent bow and some nice straight arrows. Is that a bargain? It's a bargain, Father Mushroom. Okay, just kidding. That that wasn't the trailer because apparently we we don't know if there is a trailer that has any like English narration, but uh, the, I think there's a trailer at least with some singing. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's possible I'm missing something because I did find trailers with English language for other films from this particular director, who we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to in a bit. Now, before we get to the connections, we do want to talk just a little bit about uh, about folk tales and Russian folk tales and the Russian folk tale that is uh, at the key at the center of all of this. Um, but before we do so, I wanted to just mention a few quick points that are actually from our episode on the Leshi uh, from last year that concerns Russian folklore. Uh, these were points made by Jack V. Haney in the the excellent uh, book or series of books, an anthology, an anthology of Russian folk tales. So, first of all, he contends that more folk tales may have emerged from the Russian people than any other, uh, due in part to the fact that rural oral traditions lasted well into the 20th century. Uh, he also says that uh, Russia has the second largest number of tale types, according to the International Classification System. And within these tales, you'll find lots of animal stories. Uh, frequent uh, villains include Baba Yaga, witches, nasty dwarves, shape-shifting magicians. Uh, however, Baba Yaga is also sometimes a donor or a helper. So, you know, some, sometimes she's a, uh, she's a villain. Sometimes I guess she's kind of a, what, an anti-hero or something. Uh, or, hmm. uh, or, or somebody that uh, begrudgingly helps our hero out. And that's good to keep in mind in this film because she's kind of both at times. Um, frequent characters in general, you've got uh, Baba Yaga in her hut, the firebird, uh, Koshche, the Deathless, uh, uh, Ivan, different versions of Ivan uh, pop up. And this is key, the hero frequently wanders through the woods at some point and receives help in his quest from an animal or some sort of supernatural aid. Now, the movie, Morozko or, or Jack Frost, actually seems to smash together a number of different fairy tale archetypes but i would say that the the core the core of the story the core situation and backbone is based on a classic russian fairy tale known as morozko or father frost which appeared in printed folktale collections going back at least as far as the 19th century maybe before then and it appears to be a variant of an extremely widespread folktale archetype the essence of which is that there are two girls two sisters or stepsisters a kind one who is rewarded and a wicked one who is punished 
now I thought it would be great to actually just uh, to read through a version of the the Father Frost uh, fairy tale, and this is the version collected by the Scottish poet and anthropologist Andrew Lang in the 19th century. So, Robert, are you game to read this folk tale with me and then uh, see how it relates to the movie? Let's do it. So, this is Andrew Lang's rendition of the story of King Frost. There once upon a time was a peasant woman who had a daughter and a stepdaughter. The daughter had her own way in everything, and whatever she did was right in her mother's eyes. But the poor stepdaughter had a hard time. Let her do what she would, she was always blamed, and got small thanks for all the trouble she took. Nothing was right, everything wrong, and yet, if the truth were known, the girl was worth her weight in gold. She was so unselfish and good-hearted. But her stepmother did not like her, and the poor girl's days were spent in weeping, for it was impossible to live peacefully with the woman. The wicked shrew was determined to get rid of the girl by fair means or foul, and kept saying to her father, "'Send her away, old man, send her away, anywhere so that my eyes shan't be plagued any longer by the sight of her, or my ears tormented by the sound of her voice. Send her out into the fields, and let the cutting frost do for her.'" In vain did the poor old father weep and implore her pity. She was firm, and he dared not gainsay her. So he placed his daughter in a sledge, not even daring to give her a horsecloth to keep herself warm with, and drove her out into the bare open fields, where he kissed her and left her, driving home as fast as he could that he might not witness her miserable death. Deserted by her father, the poor girl sat down under a fir tree at the edge of the forest and began to weep silently. Suddenly, she heard a faint sound. It was King Frost springing from tree to tree and cracking his fingers as he went. At length, he reached the fir tree beneath which she was sitting, and with a crisp, crackling sound, he alighted beside her and looked at her lovely face. "'Well, maiden,' he snapped out, "'do you know who I am? "'I am King Frost, King of the Red Noses.' "'All hail to you, great king,' answered the girl in a gentle, trembling voice. "'Have you come to take me away?' "'Are you warm, maiden?' he replied. "'Quite warm, King Frost,' she answered, though she shivered as she spoke. "'Then King Frost stooped down and bent over the girl, "'and the crackling sound grew louder, "'and the air seemed to be full of knives and darts. "'And again he asked,' Maiden, are you warm? Are you warm, beautiful girl? And though her breath was almost frozen on her lips, she whispered gently, Quite warm, King Frost. Then King Frost gnashed his teeth and cracked his fingers, and his eyes sparkled, and the crackling crisp sound was louder than ever, and for the last time he asked her, Maiden, are you still warm? Are you still warm, little love? And the poor girl was so stiff and numb that she could just gasp, Still warm, O King. Now her gentle, courteous words and her uncomplaining ways touched King Frost, and he had pity on her, and he wrapped her up in furs and covered her with blankets, and he fetched a great box in which were beautiful jewels and a rich robe embroidered in gold and silver, and she put it on and looked more lovely than ever, and King Frost stepped with her into his sledge with six white horses. Okay, here we got intermission on the folktale. So, uh, so it seems like not complaining about being cold worked out really good for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she was humble. Right. I, I think the point is supposed to be that she's like she's so kind and polite that she won't even that she won't even complain about the cold. Maybe because it would be 
Like she's out in his domain and it would be like, you know, uh, offensive to complain about the cold to Grandfather Frost mm. when you're out. in. it's kind of like going to somebody's house and saying it smells bad. Yeah. Th- that's the way I made sense of it, because otherwise it, it, I, I don't really know what it is that's so kind about saying you're warm when you're not. I, I think it's that it, she's in his house. Right. In the meantime, the wicked stepmother was waiting at home for news of the girl's death and preparing pancakes for the funeral feast. And she said to her husband, Old man, you had better go out into the fields and find your daughter's body and bury her. Just as the old man was leaving the house, the little dog under the table began to bark, saying... I don't know how to do a dog voice. Okay, here. Uh, oh, the the hell you do. You know how to do a dog voice. <laughs> Wait, I do, do I do a Scooby-Doo voice here? Yeah, that's what I your, your daughter shall live. <laughs> Your daughter shall live to be your delight. Her daughter shall die this very night. Hold your tongue, you foolish beast, scolded the woman. There's a pancake for you, but you must say, her daughter shall have much silver and gold. His daughter is frozen quite stiff and cold. But the doggy ate up the pancake and barked, saying, His daughter shall wear a crown on her head. Her daughter shall die unwooed, unwed. And then old woman tried to coax the doggy with more pancakes and to terrify it with blows, but he barked on, always repeating the same words. And suddenly the door creaked and flew open, and a great heavy chest was pushed in, and behind it came the stepdaughter, radiant and beautiful, in a dress all glittering with silver and gold. For a moment the stepmother's eyes were dazzled, then she called to her husband, Old man, yoke the horses at once into the sledge, and take my daughter into the same field, and leave her on the same spot exactly. And so the old man took the girl and left her beneath the same tree where he had uh, he had parted from his daughter. In a few minutes, King Frost came past, and looking at the girl, he said, Are you warm, maiden? What a blind old fool you must be to ask such a question, she answered angrily. Can't you see that my hands and my feet are nearly frozen? Then King Frost sprang to and fro in front of her, questioning her and getting only rude, rough words in reply, till at last he got very angry and cracked his fingers and gnashed his teeth and froze her to death. But in the hut, her mother was waiting for her to return, and as she grew impatient, she said to her husband... Get out the horses, old man, and go and fetch her home, and see that you are careful not to upset the sledge and lose the chest. Is is the mother becoming Irish, I think? (laughs) Yeah, she might be. She might be. I mean, as we'll discuss, like, it's impossible to read these lines without thinking of the the actors in this movie, and particularly the English dub of those characters. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and then I'm also drifting in my accent here. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but then, uh, so we got a couple more lines. So the dog beneath the table began to bark, saying, uh, Your daughter is frozen quite stiff and cold, and never shall have a chest full of gold. Don't tell such wicked lies, scolded the woman. There's a cake for you. Now say, her daughter shall marry a mighty king. But at that moment, the door flew open, and she rushed out to meet her daughter, and as she took her frozen body in her arms, she too was chilled to death. And that's the end. Man, these mm-hmm. old fairy tales are so mean. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 this is, as is often the case. Yeah, the old tales didn't play around. They, uh, they, were, they were often rather brutal in ways that you, you might expect a film adaptation to then soften things a bit and maybe not go so hard on, on people, um, especially if they're not you know, doing anything particularly evil. Uh, but even if they are, like Frost is just going around just murdering everyone, um, yeah. how, how are the children going to connect with that? Right. So the skeleton of this folktale absolutely appears in the movie, 
but uh but yeah like you say it, 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 the the edges are dulled a little bit so uh so the the spoiled mean daughter is is not frozen to death along with her mother instead she's just sort of uh, uh made a fool of yeah yeah and, and generally there's just it, now that we've read through the story like i i admire the script even more because they found great ways to soften the thorniness of the story like instead of the instead of the old man being like well i better i better do what she says and and abandoning his daughter to die in the in the in the cold they uh they do an alteration on that where he he is going to do that he's driving her out into the wilderness to abandon her but then he has a change of heart and says nope i'm going to go back and give her a piece of my mind but uh, but but Nastinka is so good. She's so good. She can't see her, her father go back and 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 you know and, and watch the stepmother unleash hell on him for disobeying her. So she slips off and goes out into the wilderness to die on her own. Right. She decides she's going to freeze to death in the woods because she doesn't want to make trouble. Right. <laughs> I would say, by the way, you know, I, I'm a sucker for stories that have a moral about being kind and stuff, but that that's a little too kind. I mean, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it's okay to not want to freeze to death, uh, even if that's going to create some headaches for your dad. <laughs> Yeah, but but like like you say, the the skeleton of the story is there, uh, but then other elements are added in to to give it you know that, that sort of that epic full motion picture feel. Baba Yaga is thrown in because she's a delightful villain. Um, you have a, a male hero thrown in in the form of Ivan. Uh, you have various other hijinks going on. A little bit of a Sleeping Beauty trope thrown in as well. Oh yeah, Morosco's got it all. All right, well, we'll come back to the plot here in just a minute, but let's uh, take a moment to discuss the various people involved in this. Um, because, because you, like me, may not be familiar with any of the people that were involved in the making of Morosco. Uh, I've been watching them for years, but I didn't really know anything about them, and it was, uh, it was, it was really fun to uh, research this a little bit the other day. Okay. So the director of this film is Alexander Rowe. Uh, that's often spelled um, R-O-U uh, for, uh, in English, but you also see it spelled R-O-W-E. Uh, so he was born in 1906, died in 1973, legendary Soviet filmmaker of Irish and Greek heritage. So his father was an Irish engineer working in Russia and, um, and, uh, and, and, and uh, apparently I, th- I think there's some story about the father ended up like leaving the family uh, in Russia. Uh, at any rate, uh, Alexander grew up, you know, as as a Russian, as a as a, and then and then working his way into what would become the Gorky Film Studio, and just becoming a mainstay there. He directed twenty fantasy films, mostly based on Russian folklore and Russian literature, and also some non fantasy films uh, thrown in there as well. But this was his 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 thing, uh, and you know, certainly the, such a rich well to draw from. Uh, his films include such notable works as uh, Wish Upon a Pike from 1938. This one features uh, Tsar um, uh, Gorok and uh, the Princess Who Never Smiled. There's Vasilisa the Beautiful from 1940. This has the Baba Yaga in it as well as the Frog Princess. There's The Humpbacked Horse, a 1941 film that has, has Yvonne in it. There's Cache the Immortal, a 1945 film that has uh, Cache the Immortal. There's Firewater and Brass Pipes from 1968 that has Cache, Baba Yaga, uh, Vorianio, the Water Spirit, as well as apparently some werewolves. Mm. There's Barber the Fair with the Silken Hair from 1970, which has 
as the underwater king or the underwater czar in it, a, a being known as Chudo Yudo. And then there's The Golden Horns from 1973, which was, I believe, his last film. I, and I, I think another director had to sort of had to complete it for him. But that is a film centered around the Baba Yaga as well. Well, it, it is no surprise at all that this filmmaker has a long-running uh, uh, affair of the heart with, uh, with The Witch of the Woods. Because the Baba Yaga in this movie is wonderfully realized. She lives in a house that walks around on legs and the, the, all of her scenes are just pitch perfect. Yeah. All of these films feature similar folkloric threads, uh, you know, because for example, Baba Yaga pops up in four of them. Um, Yvonne is in two of them. Uh, Koshke is in two of them. Uh, and uh, some of the same actors pop up in several of his films as we'll discuss. So, so basically the deal seems to be that, that Roe popularized the epic folkloric fantasy film in Russia and set a standard that, uh, that, that, is, that was, was certainly emulated by other directors of the time period, but is also still reflected to this day in Russian cinema, including the films of the Walt Disney Company CIS, which produced the live-action Russian fantasy films uh, The Book of Masters in 2009 and The Lost Warrior Trilogy from 2017 through, I believe, the third film in that saga is coming out uh, in 2022. These are films that feature most of the characters that I just highlighted. So, uh, you know, just a modern retelling of these various folkloric stories with uh, modern cinematic tools and styles. I got to say, I've never heard of any of these. Um, yeah, the, these are, I, I have not seen any of them, but now I, I would like to check out some of them. I looked at some trailers and some clips and uh, yeah, I'm I'm impressed. I mean, apparently you have the likes of Steven Spielberg, who has uh, spoken admirably about Roe in the past. So uh, for for those who know, uh, this guy was a master. Now, as far as the screenwriters go, there are, there are two credited screenwriters. Writers. The first one is uh, Nikolai Erdman, who lived 1900 through 1970, a Russian playwright and screenwriter, perhaps best known for 1928's The Suicide. Uh, this is a play, and he turned to cinema when his playwriting career ran afoul of Soviet authorities. And then there's Mikhail Volpin, who lived 1902 through 1988, a Russian screenwriter who frequently worked with Erdman. Together, they also wrote uh, Rose, Firewater, and Brass Pipes. Uh, Volpin also wrote the 1961 animated film The Key, which apparently ran afoul of Soviet censors due to its criticism of social conformity. Mm. All right, now on to the cast. Let's start at the top with uh, the actor who plays Morosko, who plays Father Frost. This is Alexander Kivyalia, who lived 1905 through 1976. A Russian actor of stage and screen, he worked with Roe in several different films, including Golden Horns and Firewater and Brass Pipes, as well as the uh, really interesting-sounding Roe film titled Kingdom of Crooked Mirrors, which apparently involves a mirror world and crooked mirrors that brainwash people through uh, you know, these various subtle changes in reality. Mm. Um, I may have to look that one up. Uh, he was also in Roe's 1961, The Night Before Christmas, Based on a, a Nicolay Gogol story, uh, he does not play Santa Claus in this, in case anyone <laughs> is curious. For anybody wondering, is Father Frost Santa Claus? Well, no, but there, there's some significant aesthetic overlap. 
Yeah, yeah. They, it's enough to where you sometimes see people described, uh, describe Father Frost as the, quote, the Russian Santa Claus, which is, which is incorrect, but they're kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, there, there are uh, similarities. Once you get into the amorphous, you know, collective unconscious, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess you could make an argument that they're essentially the same being. Both have long white beard, both ride around in a sleigh, uh, both are associated with the winter months, both have a scepter that freezes people solid upon touching. Yeah. <laughs> they have, both have a big beard, though, and, yeah. uh, and sometimes they bring uh, gifts. Uh, well, no, he's okay. Father Frost has the scepter, but Santa Claus has the flower to disappear, if you know. Oh, well, yes, if you're, if you're watching. Um, uh, yeah, if you're watching Santa Claus, uh, the, uh, well, that's the 1960s movie as well, wasn't it? The, the I think so, Santa yeah. Claus film. Santa Claus versus the devil. All right. Uh, the rest of the cast. Uh, so you have Nastinka, the, uh, the beautiful, perfect girl, the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the stepdaughter, uh, played by Natalia Sedjik, who was born in 1948, still alive as of this recording, a former Russian figure skater and ballet dancer. Uh, she was also in Rose, Firewater, and Brass Pipes. Hard to miss. She has a, just enormous eyes. Right, so uh, Nastika or Nastya corresponds to the the good sister, the good daughter in the, uh, the folk tale, the one who's who's very nice and polite and is treated very harshly by her by her hateful stepmother. Now oh, let's oh, let's go ahead and talk about the the, the bad sister, the stepsister here. This is Mafushka, uh, the stepsister, played by Ina Churikova, born nineteen forty three, and. Uh, I have to say, th- this was a performance that I always admired, knowing nothing about this actor. Like, she's mm-hmm. tremendous in this. Like, just, you know, this, this uh, snarling, but, but at times, at times kind of vulnerable um, uh, 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 human being. You know, like, like she's, yeah. she is yeah. an outrageous caricature, but at times you, you feel for her, too. Well, she's detestable, but also pitiable in the way that all spoiled children are, because, you know, like, there's nothing more revolting than a spoiled brat child, but you know that, you know, they were made that way, and you get to see right. how her, uh, her how her mother's sort of abusive doting causes her to be the way she is, so you, you feel bad for her. Yeah, and... You know, given how good this performance is, it, 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 it probably shouldn't come as a surprise, but it might surprise some people to know that, okay, this was only her third screen role, but uh, Churikova went on to have this just highly successful acting career in Russia and is, is highly acclaimed. Like, she's essentially the, the Russian Meryl Streep. Like, she's <laughs> that level of successful. If you, if you look up lists of, of like, famous Russian um, uh, actresses, unless it's you know some sort of just modern list that's not taking in the like the full scope of russian cinema uh you you may very well find her on that list uh she was born in 1943 uh still active today um she is uh she's married to acclaimed russian director uh gleb uh panfilov and has starred in several of his historical uh, films including uh 1983's vasa uh, she's yeah, just wonderful in this. Every moment on screen, she's doing something interesting. Now, uh, the character of Ivan, the male hero, was played by Edward Izotov, who was born in 1936, died in 2003. Tall, handsome Russian actor whose career lasted throughout the 60s and 70s, but was apparently derailed in the early 80s due to some manner of financial or real estate scandal. Uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. get the full details on it. Uh, but he was also in Rose, uh, Firewater, and Brass Pipes. 
All right. Then there's the stepmom. Uh, this was played. Uh, this part was played by Vera Altaskaya, who was born in 1919, died in 1978. Another established Russian actor and a frequent cast member in row films. In her later career, apparently, she found her niche playing just this exact sort of domineering mom <laughs> stepmom character. So apparently, this is the, 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 she. She had a, a later career based on this type of character. Wicked stepmother for life. Yes. All right, and then Baba Yaga, the the witch. Oh, this is such a great character and such a great screen presence in this film. She is played by the actor um, uh, Gagori Milgar, who lived uh, 1903 through 1993. So th- this this guy was a, a comedic Russian actor who also seems to have specialized in playing supernatural folkloric villains. He played Baba Yaga five times for, for Alexander Rowe, and he played um, uh, Kashke the Immortal something like four times. He also played Chudo Yudo. He played Tsar uh, um, uh, Goroko, uh, various devils and demons. So if you, needed, if you needed somebody to play this kind of menacing but also slightly comedic uh, villain, uh, this was your guy. He he is giving it his all. I I don't want to cheapen it by this comparison, but for like modern American audiences, think uh, like a level of commitment to to a, a frantic physical performance, sort of like uh, like Jim Carrey in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, like if. In, in like in a sense, he's kind of like a you know a, a big name monster player, you know, like a, a Boris Karloff. But imagine if if Boris Karloff were merged uh, with uh, yeah uh, you know yeah w- with one of these just outlandish physical comedians, uh, this is what you might have. All right, we also have a, a an interesting bandit chief character who pops up in this, played by uh, Anatoly Kubatsky who lived 1908 through 2001, a uh, character, uh, a Russian character actor who often played heavies and bandits and kings and frequently worked with Alexander Rowe. Uh, he's pretty fun in this. It's not a huge part, but, you know, he has a lot of, uh, you know, snarling uh, scenes where, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, staring off and, and uh, off screen and looking very suspicious and, uh, and greedy. So uh, it's, it's a fun role. He has a great line that really sticks in my head where in the English dub, uh, after Yvonne has like apparently magically thrown all of the bandits clubs up in the sky so that they don't fall back down until months later, mm-hmm. uh, the, the bandit chief just says, that's odd. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. Uh, just one more name to mention since we do, uh, tend to, to, to point out who did the music. Uh, it was an individual by the name of, uh, Nikolay uh, Budashkin who lived 1910 through 1988 uh, I don't know much about him, but he also did the, the music on Through Fire, Water, and Brass Pipes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the score is delightful in this. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful and, uh, and magical. Now, I don't really remember this introduction from the Mystery Science Theater version. Maybe it's in there. But the movie kicks right off uh, letting you know it's a fairy tale because it begins with with a grandmother sort of opening some 
like the 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 wooden windows, the wooden shutters of a playhouse, and she leans into the window and and says, "The uh, you know, once upon a time, an old man and an old woman lived in a village with their daughter." So it's like you're you're being told a a, a fairy tale by your babushka, right? You know, before bed or something. Yeah, yeah. No, this this is a great opening, and apparently the exact same opening occurs in other Roe films. Uh, with with I don't know if it's the same grandmother type character, but a very similar. Story storyteller um, saying, yes, this is a folktale. Let me tell it to you. And uh, yeah, this was cut from the MST3K version, I'm sure, for, for time, as they, you know, they frequently did with those films. But I also love it because if, if you remove her from the film, there aren't really any like nice old Russian ladies in the movie. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. mostly the evil stepmom, a, um, you know, a would-be mother-in-law who's also kind of uh, scheming, and then a matchmaker who... Um, uh, I don't know. I guess the matchmaker isn't isn't terrible, but still, she lacks the charm of this this grandmotherly uh, storyteller who's here to entertain us. Uh, I think uh, I think Yvonne's mom is nice. Oh, you no. only meet her for a second, but she like gives him she gives him good advice that he doesn't obey, though he should have. Right, and she also, I mean, she's just like like she's desperately like trying to to tell him to to live his 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 life correctly as he's leaving the house. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's a very desperate scene and not really a warm one. I guess yeah, we do he, meet a, a, <laughs> a, a nice blind lady later on, but but nothing like the grandma here who's speaking directly to us. No, but you got to give a shout out to Yvonne's mom. I mean, she's right about everything. He's, he's right. like, I'm running off to cause trouble. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go uh, ro- rolling through the woods, getting into getting into all kinds of mischief. And she's like, wait, respect your elders if he'd only <laughs> listened to her. Yeah, she could have saved him a lot of grief, but isn't that always the way? Well, anyway, so you get the introduction uh, that she says, you know, she she explains the situation, which is similar to the beginning of the original uh, folktale about Grandfather Frost. You get the two daughters. Uh, uh, Nastika was the daughter of the old man. Marfushka was the daughter of the old woman. And uh, and then you fade to these idyllic scenes of rural life. So you've got sunrise on a river that's very smooth in an old house deep in the woods. And you see the family sleeping inside, or at least most of the family. Uh, because the first character we get to see is Marfushka. Again, this is played by uh, by Ina Chorkova. She is sleeping in it. So there's a thing I was wondering about whether this is a real feature of, I don't know, this time and place, something you would find in these rural Russian houses, or if this is saying something about the character. But she's like a like a teenager sleeping in what appears to be kind of a crib. Like it's like a wooden box, I think, that maybe rocks. And I wonder if that's supposed to be like, oh, she's spoiled like a baby. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I always thought it was just, yeah, she's kind of a big baby. So, of course, she's in something like a crib. But it's possible that this is some sort of um, uh, traditional box bed. I know we have some um, we have some Russian listeners and listeners with uh, 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 with uh, with Russian roots or exp- or, or a greater um, uh, knowledge of, of Russian customs. Uh, perhaps you can chime in uh, on this. Is this something that an adult would actually be sleeping in? Uh, or is this just about telling us that she's a big baby? Well, I think something that has got to be true to the original to the Russian setting is the fact that she is being bothered by mosquitoes. They're they're mm. buzzing around her face. You know, I, I hear the mosquitoes can be really rough uh, in in the Russian woods, and so they're they're buzzing around. And uh, her her mother wakes up, and uh, she sees what's going on. Oh no, my my poor baby's being bothered by mosquitoes. So she wakes up her husband and makes him sit at Marfushka's bedside to wave a branch over her face to keep the mosquitoes away while she sleeps. 
And she also gives her a lollipop to enjoy while she's sleeping. Is that is that normal or is that just a fairy tale thing? I don't know. I mean, all uh, all babies would love to have a lollipop whilst sleeping, but you know, generally <laughs> parents are not going to give it to them. Gross. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. To, uh, I, I can't speak to that. But the the interesting thing about the lollipop is that uh, again, the MST three K version of this, the the video quality certainly on, on versions that lasted after the show uh, went away initially, uh, the, the video quality is is so poor that I, all I saw was red lollipop. It wasn't until I watched a nice HD version of it that I saw that the red lollipop is in the shape of a rooster. Hmm. And so I, I looked into this. I was like, well, why, why is it in the shape of a rooster? Is this a thing? And yes, it is indeed a thing. There is this, if something is in this film, I guess there's a very good chance that it, I mean, it's there for a reason. Um, there's a whole history to this. According to the website Russia Beyond, Russian lollipops or ledinets uh, date back to the 13th century. Uh, the rooster is the tradition. There, there are other molds that are used, other animals, but the, the rooster mm-hmm. is the main one because the rooster is a, quote, magical and regal bird in Russian fairy tales. And uh, by the 19th century, it was especially a big deal. Uh, so they're, they're not always red in color. I think this might have to do with uh, the use of beet sugar or perhaps then using beet sugar and then beet juice to um, to color it uh, so but sometimes they're more of a of a brown color and sometimes they're more yeah, more caramel colored in nature but uh, they're still around you can still buy them uh, you, you can order them online um, and uh, they're still sold in Russian candy shops oh my god what a good Christmas gift getting somebody a bunch of uh, marfushka lollipops yeah I really after I've learned this it's like oh man now I want one I don't know if I want to sleep with <sighs> it but you know I want no. one you know, I've outgrown certain concerns about looking cool. There's something you know, like dignity questions I don't really care about, but I will not eat the the rooster lollipop. That that's a line I will not cross. <laughs> Just in general, or only at, at night? Uh, never. <laughs> what? Oh, well, I'll have to get you one. You might change your mind. Uh, okay. But anyway, I, th- I think we're supposed to get the message. Okay, you know they're giving her a lollipop while she's sleeping. So I guess uh, Marfushka is a spoiled brat even when asleep. But uh, then, meanwhile, we get the mother going into the next room to see her stepdaughter, Nastya, who, uh, again, corresponds to the good daughter from the folktale, the nice one. And uh, Nastya is staying up through the night to knit a pair of stockings that her stepmother asked her to make for Marfushka. And when she comes in and finds her hard at work, the stepmother is still not satisfied. She She's like, I told you to make the stockings, but I didn't tell you to click your needles like that. You'll wake <laughs> up my darling girl. <laughs> so uh, Nastia is sent outside in the cold to finish knitting. And the, the stepmother is so mean. She says the stockings have to be finished by the time the rooster crows. And she says, otherwise, my precious little girl, I will tear your braid off. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, threats of braid violence in this movie. Yeah, the removal of braids. And then, of course, it's revealed that uh, uh, the stepsister does not have uh, an actual braid. She has a store-bought braid. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, commentary on, you know, which daughter is um, legitimately beautiful and good and which one is artificially beautiful and good. Mm. Which, of course, is based entirely on hair length. We can't stress <laughs> that enough. Right, yes. Hair length directly corresponds to moral virtue. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I le- I noticed a little thing. This is also in keeping with the fairy tale, at least the version chronicled by Andrew Lang, which is that the family dog 
barks at the wicked stepmother when she's being mean to Nastia. So like the dog is taking Nastia's side, just like in the story, the dog takes the, the good daughter's side back at home. She's like, you know, I'll give you a pancake. If you say that, uh, that the good daughter is bad and the bad daughter is good. And the dog's like, no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the dog is important in this movie. Uh, as are other animals, like they're not just, they're not just hanging around. Like they, they have agency, even if the, the movie didn't go to the, degree of having them actually speak with like dubbed human voices though some of the animals in the movie do speak yeah like do they, they speak uh, as i was trying to remember just now i was like dude oh. does the pig speak does the cat speak the rooster <laughs> speaks you remember the that? oh yes that's right that's coming right up. So the sun's about to rise and a rooster hops up into frame. Remember the stepmother was like, okay, if you don't finish these stockings by the time the rooster crows, I'm going to tear your braid off. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, Nastia goes and negotiates with the rooster. She's like, give me a little time, please. Pretty rooster. Uh, I guess she's flattering him or no, she's not probably not flattering because she's, she's good and honest. So she just genuinely thinks the rooster is pretty and throws mm-hmm. that in there just to be nice. And the rooster actually talking with the human voice says, uh, sorry, roosters only obey the sun. So you'll have to go, you have to, you got to talk to my boss. You got to, you got to go uh, deal with the rosy finger Dawn. So she goes to plead with rosy finger Dawn. And, uh, she, so she goes up on this hillside with these trees behind her. And it's like this little crest, uh, crest of a uh, grassy hill that rises up by the river. And she faces the sun and pleads with it. And apparently the sun is so moved by pity for her, it sinks back down over the horizon and gives her time to finish the stockings. And I guess I think this was the first moment in the movie where I was like, huh, like so far it's been interesting and funny, but this scene is actually quite beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I have to admit, when we recorded our our, our current, I guess it's a current series on uh, time travel fiction, I kept thinking of this. Like this in some ways is kind of a folkloric time travel into the past, the, the, the literal turning back of the clock, but not the, the clock on the wall, but the clock, the celestial clock, the great celestial clock of the, 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 the actual movement of the sun. It's like Joshua stilling the sun in the sky uh, so he could finish his battle. Yeah. And it works. Uh, so so it works. Uh, she, she has time to finish the stockings before the rooster crows. But you know what? The wicked stepmother is just still not impressed. She comes out and she's like, so you did it on time. Why, you wicked little viper, you wicked little witch. I'll give you much harder work next time. <laughs> uh, you know, which is a relatable dynamic to a lot of people, maybe. I'm sure at some point in your life, everybody... You might have had the experience of trying really hard, you know, working hard to complete some task that seemed impossible, uh, only to discover that doing so is maybe not really rewarded or appreciated and instead makes people expect even more of you in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's more often a, a work thing than a, than a family thing. I don't know. Well, I've encountered shades of it when uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, like when the dungeon master uh, gives you an encounter and things go a little bit too easy. Yeah, uh, they just sort like, of like ad hoc make up another one to to, <laughs> to punish you. Yeah, or like next time I'll, I'll have to make it harder. Yeah, uh, like it's okay that it went. That it, sometimes we need a cakewalk. Sometimes we need a win. Natural twenty. Why you wicked little vipers? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But as a reward, of course, yeah, she's going to get more chores, uh, stuff like watering random stumps and so forth. 
Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. So she sent off with this big list of other chores to do around the farm. Uh, and then we cut to meeting one of our other main characters. I guess our two main characters are Nastia and then this new character, Ivan. Mm-hmm. And so he, we see him coming out of his house. We learn he's from another village nearby. And immediately we get the, the vibe about Ivan that he is young and strong, but proud and vain. And uh, so he walks out of his house, sort of, you know, chest puffed out, looking, <laughs> looking into a handheld mirror and, and just really enjoying himself, enjoying his own reflection. Yeah. And uh, like we were talking about a minute ago, we see his, his mother comes out behind him and she really worries for him as as he's leaving the house. She implores him not to forget her. So it's as if he's just going off to, to maybe never return. Who knows? Uh, and she tells him that he should should not harm the weak and that he should respect his elders. Yeah, and he yeah he is a, a caricature of, uh, of 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 arrogance and, uh, and and beauty. But also, I mean, the thing about Yvonne, and again, it's my understanding that there are sort of different versions of Yvonne that you encounter in the the stories. Like he has all the tools to back to back it up. Like he is. Mm a beautiful man. Uh, he, he does have like almost godlike powers. He is, he's like a Russian Hercules. Um, uh, and he's also, he's, he's, he, he has a, he has a great mind. He's, he's able to, to trick people out of hurting him without necessarily getting into a physical battle with him, but he is just crushingly vain. Right. I, I mean, I think it picks up on a folktale theme that I find interesting. Many folktales, Concern concern characters who are themselves vulnerable to some more powerful uh, uh, threat within the story, a monster or a bear, an animal, a, a bandit or something. Um, but there's another type of folktale that is about the reckless arrogance of the strong young man. It's not that he's vulnerable. It's that his, that, that his strength and his freedom make him a danger to himself and others. Right, right. And he, he can't, even though he has all the tools to be a true hero, he's, he's not going to be one until he learns like the right path in life and, and, and actually starts um, that, you know, acting on the true values of, of moral life. But as soon as we see Yvonne setting out from his house to, to go on his wanderings, a song and dance scene begins. And I just, I also don't know if I remember this song and dance scene from the mystery science theater, but I loved it. It's, it's sort of like Yvonne's WWE entrance music. Yeah. Uh, the song is not translated in the dub. So I truly don't know what they were singing about, but I'm guessing it's about how, uh, everybody, including Yvonne thinks Yvonne is really great. Yeah, <laughs> it seems that way. And yeah, this is definitely a scene that was not in the MST3K cut. Uh, so it's, 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 it's kind of like this delightful uh, um, bonus you get from watching it. You know, you get to watch all these scenes you've, you've seen a million times uh, transformed into something beautiful and then occasionally all new scenes. Uh, but this leads into Yvonne going a singing and a tramping through the forests and the hills. And it's just a, a really excellent musical scene. Uh, the song is good. Uh, again, it's not dubbed, so I don't know what it's about, but I assume once it's Yvonne by himself in the woods singing, it's just, you know, I'm awesome. I'm the best. I'm going to sing about myself. And then we go straight into the bandit scene, which I did remember, uh, from the, from the other version. Mm -hmm. And the bandit scene is a classic. It's how would we describe this one? Do you want to take it? 
Oh, uh, well, it's just this band of really, like watching this, it, it's easy to imagine that they're not even humans, but there's some sort of dwarves or trolls or something or gnomes, because uh, it's just a bunch of very rugged looking, mostly bearded men in mismatched garments sitting around a campfire. And they're, yeah, they're plucking the petals off of daisies uh, and they're, uh, and they're, they're trying to decide, they're trying to use the daisy as a way to decide how they're going to, how they're going to go about their day, uh, mm-hmm. chanting, we will rob them. We won't rob them. We will eat them. We won't eat them, etc. But the next one is, we will beat them. We will be beaten. <laughs> so what happens if they pick, we will be beaten? Do they just oh, wow. go get I, beaten? I don't think, I, I never really noticed that they were saying that part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the the some of the some of the bandits are like up in the trees as lookouts. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I love the setup here. But of course, the, we're going to have a, a clash of the strong against the strong. Yvonne comes along, whistling his theme song, uh, still doing the 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 tune of his entrance music. And the bandits come up to him and they say, "Hey, you're captured. Now we're going to rob you." I think that's literally a quote. Um, mm-hmm. And so he says, all right, then rob me. And he drops his satchel, which I guess they would assume has his money in it. And they start fighting over his satchel. And in doing so, they drop their clubs. And then Yvonne sets to uh, grabbing the clubs and chucking them way up in the air. And then when when they're when they figure out what's going on, they're like, hey, what'd you do with our clubs? And he's like, well, I threw them up in the sky and they'll come down next winter. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the, the bandits are fearsome, but uh, but not the smartest. And Yvonne is easily able to, uh, to to outsmart them without even really having to fight them. And so moving along, uh, Yvonne just goes about his business. And then the narrator comes in. I love that there are just a few moments where a narrator suddenly talks. There's not much narration in the movie, but every now and then you get like a sentence or two. And it's kind of jarring because it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the narrator says, how long did our young hero Yvonne wander over Hill and Dale? Frankly, we have no idea. <laughs> and <laughs> I was laughing be- uh, when I saw that because I was like, who is we? Is this like the God speaking? Like, you know, in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so uh, the the narrator says, the fact remains that Yvonne eventually reached far away in unknown lands. And here is where we get another classic scene. I think we talked about this uh, scene a little bit in our mushroom foraging episode. Uh, But this is the chase scene between Yvonne and the old man mushroom or grandfather mushroom. So Yvonne meets this old man who wears a hat that looks like a mushroom cap. And uh, he keeps uh, disappearing and reappearing. And Yvonne goes up to him and says, are you a sorcerer, granddaddy? And uh, he says, I dabble in sorcery a little, but the truth is that I get bored. And what does that mean? Does he get bored? Well, uh, Grandfather Mushroom wants Yvonne to play hide and seek with him. Uh, So so they work out a deal. If Yvonne can catch Grandfather Mushroom, he will receive a well-bent bow and some straight arrows. But it is hard to catch Grandfather Mushroom because he has the power to disappear and teleport. So I, this does not really seem fair. Mm-hmm. So Yvonne loses, but because he admits to losing, the old man gives him the bow and arrows anyway. Uh, but in keeping with the themes of the original folktale, here's what. So Yvonne is not in the 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 classic uh, Grandfather Frost, at least the version uh, chronicled by Andrew Lang. But it, the same rules apply. So he has met a magical old man in the woods. 
and he is not courteous to him. He forgets to say thank you for the bow, and he he just sort of uh, he just sort of is like, okay, I'm going to go about uh, I'm going to go about my business. And the old man is like, hey, aren't you going to say thank you and bow to me, uh, bow your head? And Yvonne says, those who bow run the risk of losing their head. The bear will bow before you if you like, but not Yvonne. And ooh, this this is bad news. So so Grandfather Mushroom is like, then so be it. Things will come to pass as you say. The bear will bow before me down to the ground, but it is your back that will bend. So here we get the again, always be polite to uh, old magical people in the woods. Mm-hmm. But eventually, we got to have our our two protagonists, our two plot lines collide, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Yvonne comes across a carving on a rock that reads, uh, find a feather in the fields and throw it to the winds. And if you follow that feather, you will find your destiny. So he has a uh, somewhat uh, aggressive way of finding a feather in the fields. He shoots yeah. a bird with an arrow <laughs> mm-hmm. and then picks a feather off of it, throws it. It floats all over uh, all over the place and he follows it. And eventually it lands at a riverside where he finds Nastia. She is there drawing water from the river. She's got her loyal buddy dog at the side, and she's singing this melancholy song, and she is pouring water over a dead stump. (laughs) And Yvonne sees her, falls in love at first sight, and he walks up to talk. Uh, She is, of course, hard at work watering the old stump. Uh, She says she's going to water it until flowers bloom out of it, something her stepmother told her to do. And Yvonne's like, that's crazy. She must uh, must be very mean to you. But uh, Nastia does not complain. She's like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, I'll I'll do it. Uh, So Yvonne, uh, I don't think there's really any lead up to this. He's just like, hey, uh, will you marry me? Uh, So he's being very smooth. And she is like, I do not think we would make a good couple. And he wants to know why. And she says, well, it's because you're a braggart and I am not. <laughs> and I like that his response is, well, I'm not a braggart because I'm actually very good at everything. So he explains, so I guess it's not bragging if it's true. So he says he's a good fighter. He's a good fisherman. He's a great dancer. And he's a great hunter. And then he decides to show off how good he is at hunting by pulling out his bow. And he says he's going to shoot a bear on the other side of the river. And uh, Nastia greatly opposes this. She says, no, she has cubs, and she tries to stop him. So she calls out to her dog, who barks, and this scares the bears, and they run off. And then Nastia throws a bucket over Yvonne's head. And then when the bucket comes off, the movie kicks into high gear. Because, oops, here we get Grandfather Mushroom magic, and now Yvonne has a bear head. And he sounds like Zoidberg. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he does a bit. Uh, but yeah, it has this fabulous bear head that um, I, I think is actually well crafted. You know, I mean, within the context of the of the film and the times, uh, you know, it looks kind of terrifying, but also kind of alive. It yeah, it's very creepy looking, also sometimes funny looking, and uh, mm. and his voice has changed. He no longer just sounds like Yvonne. He he's like, whoa, what has happened to me? And uh, when he realizes he has a bear head, he thinks that Nastia did it to him. He thinks that she gave, doesn't he? I, th- I think he thinks she gave yeah, him he the does. bear head. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he, he starts saying, I curse you forever. You witch. Um, and he, he runs off and, and is freaking out. This also looks very funny because he's just running between the trees, sort of swinging his arms around and moaning. And, uh, Nastia is very sad and her tears fall in the river. 
And for some reason, this makes flowers bloom out of the dead stump that she was watering. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is where we also have just a very beautiful, lengthy scene that uh, I think was cut from the MST uh, version, uh, where we just see this wonderful reflection in the water, and you know she's mm. having this emotional moment, and uh, it's it's again one of those where you just you just admire the the, the look of the film. Oh yeah, you're very right. I mean, so it, it, there it is genuinely a, a sort of sad moment here. Uh, but then it cuts back to being kind of funny because it, then we, we see Yvonne just like roaming all over the place, growling and moaning and feeling really sorry for himself. Um, and he, he somehow he gets back to Grandfather Mushroom and he's like, it, I, I got to know how to get this get this head, you know, bear head off of me. Uh, he begs him to teach him what he can do to become a man again. And Grandfather Mushroom says, uh, you've never done a good deed. And then Bearhead Yvonne just runs with it. So he's like, ah, so I must do a good deed and then I'll return to normal. And and Grandfather Mushroom is trying to protest. He's like, no, it isn't that simple. But Bearhead is always – he's already running off to get it done. <laughs> and so it's still that that youthful sort of prideful foolhardiness. He, he's not going to even read the full instructions. Yeah, and, and from here we get uh, kind of a montage of scenes, right, where he's running up to people, random folks, and just like and saying, what can I do to help you? But he's, he's a <laughs> yeah. bear monster, so he's terrifying people, and they're just running away from him. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like Frankenstein, right, Mary Shelley? Yeah. You know, is he... He, uh, uh, the, the creature just, just wants friends, but, but he's scary looking. So people are going to run away. Oh, it is very, in fact, it mirrors uh, Frankenstein in, in another way that we'll get to in a second. Now, cutting back to the house where, uh, where, uh, Nastya and Marfushka live, there is a, a really funny scene leading up to, I guess it's supposed to be a, a matchmaking scene where a suitor mm-hmm. and his parents come to the house and, uh, they're trying to set up Marfushka with this with this uh, marriageable bachelor, and so they're getting her ready for that, putting all this makeup on her. But it looks like clown makeup, and she's wearing this extremely colorful outfit with a with a, a red and yellow crown. And uh, it's it's it, the colors look great. And again, this is one reason that it really is worth watching the uh, the good HD version. But also, I I thought the scene is very funny because like. The bachelor is this super dopey looking dude. He he slightly has a bit of um the energy of the guy in the who plays um Mycroft Holmes in the BBC version of Sherlock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like dopier with long flat hair. Yes. And uh and so the, there's a scene well, so they're trying to the parents are trying to get uh him to uh him and his parents to agree to uh, marry uh, Marfushka. But uh, everything really goes wrong. Somehow she ends up falling into the lake, and then her fake braid comes off, and it, it just it just all goes to hell. And and the uh, the other people are making fun of her, and so the stepmother is really mad. And uh, and then the the worst thing of all is that the 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 suitor dude is like, hey, what what if I married Nastia instead? Uh. And that just makes the stepmother go like ballistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then eventually, after after a, a long interlude, uh, Yvonne does get his his original head back, and I think it's because he picks up a stick, thinking it belonged to an old woman that he helped carry back to her home over a mountain. And yeah. he's like, oh, this is her stick. I better take it back to her. And for some reason, that's the thing that does it. Then Grandfather Mushroom's like, okay, you deserve a human head now. Yeah, uh, an, an old blind woman. So it kind of mirrors Frankenstein in that uh, respect uh, th- that he ends up uh, initially he's he, he ends up helping her by carrying her home, uh, but it's but it's seeing her stick and thinking, oh, she needs that stick. I need to get that back to her. So it's almost like 
I mean, this is something that the MST3K uh, riff had fun with, you know, the idea that it's like he didn't actually do anything nice. He just thought about doing something nice. Right. And, and that was enough. Uh, but I, if I'm going to read into it more, I feel like it's the idea that that he was doing it without any kind of um, uh, scheme behind it. You know, he, he, he wasn't helping her because it would help him. He was just doing it as a reflex, you know. It, it's like hmm. kindness was no longer something that he had to force himself to do. He could do it instinctually. Oh well, that makes more sense. Okay, I, I, I can accept that. But yeah, when it does come down to it, it is very funny to point out that that he just thought about doing it and he yeah. gets rewarded for it. And uh, I don't know. I, I think sometimes people do sort of work that way. Like they maybe congratulate themselves a little too much, not for actually doing anything good, but for becoming convinced that they would do something good yeah. if given the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I think we've, uh, I think we've, we've looked at some studies on that uh, for yeah. the, the core stuff to blow your mind episodes. Okay. Well here sort of, we hit the transition point because we skip ahead in time. Uh, so we, we, we skip ahead to winter previously. I, I don't know. I guess this was supposed to be in summer before, uh, and, and now we go to winter, and here is where we sort of really get into the meat of the original folktale. I, I also think at this point we might we might skip over some things and describe in less detail, but there there is so much wonderful stuff and magical characters in the second half of the movie, too, because here's where we're going to get uh, Baba Yaga and, and uh, Grandfather Frost. So the, the second part begins with the premise of the Grandfather Frost story, which is that the old man is taking Nastia out into the out into the frozen uh, woods to die because uh, presumably because suitors keep wanting to marry her instead of Marfushka and uh, stepmother is is tired of this so she's like uh, old man you, you will kill your daughter for me and uh, he's really broken up about it but he's doing it like he's mm-hmm. taking her out there on the sled. Uh, but then he, he, while he's out there, he's like, no, no, I won't. And he tries to turn the sled around to take her back home. But like we talked about earlier, Nastia apparently doesn't want to cause trouble for her father. So she just hops out of the sled. Yeah. So I guess so as not to be a burden. Yeah. She's just like, uh, it's, it's all right, dad. I'll, I'll just die of exposure. I don't want you to have a, a rough afternoon. I'll say again, that is pathological kindness. That There is no reason to be that nice. Uh, but now also in the, in the same time period, in the dead of winter, we find Yvonne uh, out wandering the woods and what he, he's trying to find Nastia again. He's like, hey, I've, I've got a human head again. I'm a better man. I'm not so selfish and vain. Now I am I am a, a, a more suitable uh, bachelor who, who could marry uh, Nastia because now she'll see I'm actually a good person. Uh, so he's out trying to find her and he comes across the cabin of of the witch of, of Baba Yaga, which is up on leg. Uh, I think as it is often depicted in these mm-hmm. uh, stories and there's this great scene where uh, they're, they're like where he, he and the witch are both trying to order the house, which direction to face. Yep. Yep. That's, that's a wonderful scene. And and this whole sequence is just great with, with all the costumes and, and the sets and everything. So yeah, she, she gets a bunch of trees to attack Yvonne and bring him inside because she wants to eat him. Uh, and she's going to load him into the oven to cook him. But he tricks her in classic fairy tale style. He's like, uh, oh, hey, you uh, you want me to sit on the shovel so you can put me into the oven, but I've never sat on a shovel before. You got to show me how. So, <laughs> she's so like, the youth of today were not taught anything. <laughs> and she's going to demonstrate it. <laughs> so she gets on the shovel and, and he shoves her into the oven and then she's like, ooh, get me out. So he, he lets her out. But then they're negotiating. He, he's trying to get her magical help to find Nastia. 
the the interior of Baba Yaga's hut is fabulous because it looks like uh, Mario Bava was the was the interior yes. decorator here. Yes, blue and purple light everywhere, fog. Uh, it's full of animals. There are owls, pigs, cats, spider webs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some other snakes, uh, other things. I'm probably not even remembering. Uh, and then meanwhile, so while Yvonne is encountering this magical being, uh, Nastia is encountering Grandfather Frost, and we get basically the same interaction that they have in the folktale. So he's like, are you warm? And she says, yes, even though she's obviously freezing. And he's like, uh, you know, you're a very nice girl. <laughs> uh, and, uh, because she, you know, she's not going to talk smack about how cold his forest is. And then he offers her his coat. Uh, but she's like, what about you? Won't you be cold? But of course he's, you know, he's father frost. He's not going to be cold. So yeah, it I mean, goes the coats just for show. Exactly. This is, this is, a, this is a, a fashion coat. Um, so just as she's about to freeze to death, father frost is like, Oh, she needs help. So he covers her up in his warm coat, takes her away in his sleigh and they go to his house, which looks kind of like a church. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 another beautiful structure inside and out. Inside, especially, it's just this this blue crystal palace with, uh, you know, again, I'm kind of reminded of uh, of Mario Bava films, except uh, mm. it, it's it's as if Mario Bava made a fairy tale movie for children instead of uh, you know some sort of a, a thriller. Right. Well, there there is something quite deadly within the house, though, because mm. uh, Father Frost he leaves his scepter in there. And wouldn't you know it, uh, uh, Nastia's, uh, Nastia's curiosity gets the better of her because she's like, what's the deal with the scepter? She goes to check it out, touches it, and it freezes her solid. She's in a chunk of ice. Uh, we, we learn from Father Frost that, that whoever touches the scepter will never wake again. And he comes back and finds her frozen like that, and he really beats himself up about it. He's like, yeah. you nitwit, you donkey, you didn't watch over her. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, somehow... The witch sends Yvonne off um, chasing after uh, some kind of object. I think it's a sheepskin or something that will allegedly lead him to Nastia. Or a pig sled? Or is this oh, the, maybe the, that's the it. Pig yeah. is tra- the pig that lives in her hut is transformed into a pig sled, uh-huh. a magical sled that will take him where he needs to go. Uh, and she, when she's alone, she has these scenes with like a cat and an owl and a snake where she's just lamenting that she did not get to cannibalize Yvonne. She really mm-hmm. wants to eat him. Oh, and remember the cat was doing her bidding by yes. helping yeah. to engineer the moment where she touches the scepter and is frozen. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but eventually Yvonne meets Nastia's loyal dog, our, you know, her buddy dog from way back in the beginning. And, and the dog, I like this movie because this is a movie that appreciates uh, the, the quality of a good dog. And uh, the dog is a good friend. The dog leads him to Father Frost's house. And when he gets there, Yvonne's love wakes her up and defrosts her, basically. <laughs> Oh, and then uh, what is the exchange they have? It's like she gets defrosted and he's there with his head back to normal. And she says something like um, she she says, well, she gives him uh, the I guess it's the diminutive form of his name, Ivanushka. She says, Mm -hmm. Ivanushka, how nice you are now. I like you better. (laughs) (laughs) And then he he brags uh, now that he does good deeds all the time and she seems to accept this. And then we we get sort of a happy ending, but the funny thing is the movie's not over yet. So you would expect this is, you know, the music kicks in and we go to credits, um, but it's not quite there yet. We do see the happy ending. Uh, uh, Nastia and Yvonne arrive back at the family home in a regal sleigh. They're dressed like royalty with a box full of gems. So it seems like they're married and they're happy and they're rich. 
and uh, Marfushka is furious. She keeps saying, I want stones. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so much like the fairy tale, her mother demands that the old man take Marfushka out into the forest as well. So that the same thing can happen to her because from their point of view, it's like, well, okay, daughter was left in the forest, came back, uh, married, happy and rich. So, you know, we just assume the same will happen to the other daughter. But when father frost comes across her, she basically beats him up. I think she actually hits him or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's abusive and, and awful to, to frost. Uh, and in the original folklore, like he freezes her to death for it. But in this, we get a, you know, we get a sanitized version of that. Right. So instead of uh, him, him killing her and the stepmother, Marfushka is sent back home in, uh, n- not with a husband or not, uh, like royalty in a sleigh with a handsome husband pulled by white horses and a box full of jewels. Instead, she is by herself on a sled pulled by pigs with a box full of crows. Yes. And there's also a great uh, sort of epilogue scene where Yvonne and Nastia are, are riding off together and they get attacked by the bandits from earlier in the movie at the behest of the witch. The witch. Yeah, this is kind of our final battle. Uh, yeah, so she's yeah. rallied the bandits. And there's, oh, there's a great scene where she comes flying in uh, in, her, uh, in her mortar, uh, which, is, uh, which is her traditional means of flying about. And this reminded me so much of an illustration from the Enchanted Worlds book. Uh, it was uh, this, this really bright, illustration by Ivan uh, Bilibin from, I believe, 1900. Um, uh, It was uh, in the book on witches and wizards. But you can also see this image if you just go to the Wikipedia page on Baba Yaga. It's like the the top image, and it's uh, it's really cool. So yeah, she's coming in. She's bribed the bandits. She's organizing them. So yeah, now you have the worst thing. You have the the Bob. You have Baba Yaga committed to bringing down Ivan and Nastinka, and she has convinced all of these bandits to work with her. The bandits aren't very smart, but now they have a general telling them what to do. Right. And she, I think she still wants to eat Yvonne, right? Like she's like, he looked so tasty. Um, yeah. 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 She feels cheated out of that meal. So she's going to, she's going to get it. Right. So, uh, so the bandits attack, uh, Nastia gets tied up. The bandits are beating up Yvonne. Uh, but then we get, uh, the, to save the day, we get a couple things. First of all, the loyal dog, uh, unties Nastia from the tree. And mm-hmm. then the bandits are knocked out by their own clubs. We get a call back from earlier when, when Yvonne threw all the clubs up in the air. <laughs> yeah, I believe the riff in the MST3K version is it's raining cinematic payoff, which uh, I, lo- I love that uh, riff. And I think about it anytime something like this happens in a movie. And then I guess we get the epilogue to the epilogue, which is like we see our, our uh, Nasty and Yvonne at their wedding here or at some kind of celebration. Mm-hmm. They're in a they're in a house. Uh, with a bunch of people gathered for a feast, and it's like the most colorful scene I have ever witnessed. The the colors are just like violent. Yes, it is absolutely beautiful. Just Fabergé egg, pastel explosions. It's it's gorgeous. And there on the table, you see you have bowls of food, apples. There's a rooster bowl. Um, everybody's here. And it's a great shot, too, because we begin at their end of the table, and then we we uh, we, we pull back. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're moving down the table, down this feast table. We feel like we're a part of the feast. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so you know what, this is a wonderful holiday film. This is, it, it does make for great comedic fodder on, on MST, but this is also just a, a really gorgeous, creative and fun movie. I, I give it uh 10 out of 10 talking roosters. <laughs> yeah. Like most of the best, uh, MST3K films, it stands on its own. Uh, without the riff, the riff is not necessary to enjoy it. Uh, 
uh, in my opinion. So, uh, I, yeah, I recommend everybody consider giving it a go, especially if you're a fan of the episode. You, you'll still love it. You've probably seen the, the rift version enough that you've memorized all the good riffs, so you can just think them or say them out loud while you're watching <laughs> Pretend it. they're yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretend, pretend they're yours. Um, and uh, lucky for you, you can buy or rent this digitally on a number of platforms, including Amazon Prime, where I think there are like two different versions of it. I'm, I'm not sure about the quality on those but whatever you end up finding go with the the high quality if you find you know make sure it's the vibrant colors um you know shop around uh you can watch it in russian with subtitles that you can also watch it uh, again with this very fun english dub um uh, there's also a physical um ruskiko dvd that you can pick up for a quite reasonable price online if you want a physical disc to put into your uh, dvd player nice so I think this was our, our what our second Russian film on Weird House Cinema. There was uh, mm. Teens in the Universe. Oh yeah, the sci-fi one with the great robots. Mm-hmm. Also, ultimately a children's film, and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. here we are with another uh, Russian children's film. Well, I'm to understand there's plenty more where that came from. It seems like especially maybe the the 60s and 70s have a lot of great uh, great looking fantasy and sci-fi films from Russia. Yeah, yeah. And we've heard from some listeners who've given us some recommendations that also look great. And, and I, I've also run across some older films that, uh, that also look pretty good. There's a particular Russian horror film uh, that, is, uh, that is on my list uh, that we, we may have to get to uh, in the months ahead. Or rather, in the year ahead, because uh, like we said, this, uh, I believe this is going to be it for this year. We're going to have uh, a couple of uh, repeats in the weeks ahead, a couple of uh, uh, Weird House Cinema Rewind episodes, but then we'll be back with something new. Christmas with the cranks. <laughs> yeah, in, in January, as it should be. All right. If you want to listen to other episodes of Weird House Cinema, you'll find it every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We are primarily a science and culture podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but on Mondays we do uh, listener mail on Wednesdays we do a short form artifact episode and on Fridays we set aside most serious matters and we just talk about a weird and interesting film huge thanks as always to our excellent audio producer Seth Nicholas Johnson if you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 